0: Hi, everyone. Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Steve Weiss Music, percussion specialist since 1961. If you're looking for a rare piece of sheet music, a specialty gong, or anything percussion, Steve Weiss Music will have it. Please visit steveweissmusic.com or click their link in the show notes. That's S-T-E-V-E-W-E-I-S-S music.com, our percussion series sponsor. Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute
1: business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Hi, everybody. My name
0: is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. In this interview, we'll be speaking with Bill Kahn and Gary Kavistad of the Percussion Ensemble Nexus. For 50 years, this group has been at the pinnacle of the genre, and when you listen to their recordings, you'll understand why the New York Times called Nexus the high priest of the percussion world. The ensemble has appeared with leading orchestras in North America, Europe, and Asia, composed music for an Academy Award-winning film, and collaborated with other renowned musicians, including the Canadian Brass, the Kronos Quartet, and Steve Reich. We'll link to their website in the show notes so you can learn more about the ensemble and its many accolades.
1: Bill and Gary, thanks for joining us.
2: Nice to be here, Nick. Great to be
1: here. So, how is Nexus organized in terms of entity? Is it an LLC, a five a nonprofit? Um, and how how is the organization managed in terms of is there professional staff or a board or um, and how has that changed over over the years?
2: Uh, we have essentially managed ourselves from the get go. Uh, we did everything ourselves, um, everything, absolutely everything for 25 years. Then we had uh, uh, booking agents working for us. They were not managers, really. Mm-hmm. They were not managing our careers. They were not setting repertoire, not not accounting for our internal business of uh, meetings and finances and all of that. We did all of that ourselves. Um, we looked into at the at that we got near that tipping point. We had several meetings worldwide with managers and realized what what the what the trade-off was in it not only being away from our families, but what were the personal and artistic trade-offs to do that. And what were the costs? Mm-hmm. It would have cost us probably a hundred and fifty thousand dollars of an investment to get started to go on that route. That was the first barrier. Uh, to, to get the manager who had the network to get us to play with the New York Philharmonic, the, the London Symphony Orchestra, the Tokyo Philharmonic. Uh, it's about having the people who have those connections working for you. And they're very expensive. Yeah. All right. Uh, we could have taken that step, but at 25 years of experience, we had families, we had home lives and, um, and there were other considerations by that point. And maybe if this had happened, if we had that kind of money when we were starting out, it might have been a different ball game. Sure. But there's no guarantee of that. Anyway, um, uh, so Bob Becker was essentially responsible for uh, shipping instruments. So he would contact the the shipping agents. He would make all the arrangements on all throughout the the trip. If we were going to Germany, we had to get transportation in Germany to move from the airport to the venue, to the venue, to the venue, and back to the airport. That would all be work. That was Bob's responsibility. Mm -hmm. I was doing contracts and finances. Russell was doing instrument, uh, looking at uh, maintenance of instruments, making sure the programs were together and and that kind of thing. And uh, I forget what Robin's responsibility. Robin and Eleanor were were working on grants for 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 our traveling. So we we did this basically all ourselves. But um, we were not doing this full time. So we had the ability, we had the time to commit to this, and we had the interest because we wanted to do these things. We just didn't want to do them. 52 weeks a year right. Gary
3: in terms of
2: in terms of uh, thoughts about managing the group you 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 did some you had some experience with black earth I know but uh, right you,
3: we, we had a couple managers but uh, uh, they, they weren't on the uh, the level where we would get those kind of uh, mm-hmm. gigs uh, and I think Nexus uh, <coughs> was able to uh, book some pretty impressive venues because, uh, of context. Again, you know, we knew a few people that, uh, were in, in that world and they were aware of uh, what Nexus had to offer and, um, and helped out. So, you know, we played some incredible, uh, venues, um, uh, summer festivals, Oh, uh, New York Philharmonic, all all those. But also, uh, when, uh, the commission came through for uh, the Takamitsu Concerto, Uh, that opened a lot of doors. And uh, so Zeiji Ozawa was really behind the group because of his interaction with John at the University or at the uh, Toronto uh, Symphony. And um, that really um, uh, set us apart from a lot of other groups at that time. Uh, and another kind of a sidebar with that is that, of course, Takamitsu had this East-West um, a love of music and knowledge of it. <clears throat> and uh, he did not write a bombastic uh, bass drum uh, drum set uh, concerto for f- uh, five people. Uh, he wrote this intimate, beautiful orchestral work that was more in line with WC, I would say, um, but also had... Um, you know like a little bit of stravinsky a little bit of of uh, traditional uh japanese folk music which was perfect for nexus and uh once again uh that was uh, kind of a, a a hallmark of uh of the the group is to be different uh but uh be uh really as good as can be
2: you know andy i didn't really answer your question we we're a partnership
1: okay that, that's yeah, I, I was gonna ask for, so you're just four partners, uh four equal partners. Um four
3: equal partners in a partnership. Great and uh Bill, you have to say that it was a it's a not for profit, but not legally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's uh, all
2: very true.
1: Yeah, uh, gotcha. But,
3: uh, we looked into
2: uh, you know incorporating as a not-for-profit, a five O. What, what is it? Five hundred one C. We looked at subchapter S corporations. We looked at all the all the alternatives, and there are all kinds of hoops you got to jump through continually uh, to keep the tax man happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had some unique. Problems with two of us living in Canada and two of us living in New York State. Interesting. Uh, m- many people don't know that sports people and performing artists, when they play in in states other than their resident state. They have their taxes withheld. No questions asked. You don't get to you don't get to you have to you have to go at the end of the year, file some forms with that state to get that money back, which you may be entitled to. But it's not yours until you file those forms. So if you're if you're touring and you're playing in 40 states, if you're a golfer or if you're a percussionist, you, you might have 40 or 50 tax forms to fill out at the end yep. of the year, yep. and it's only getting worse. Every time they simplify the tax code, it, there are more papers to fill out.
0: Now, did you do that or did you have an accountant do that for you?
2: Uh, we did it ourselves Individual. for a while. Now yeah. we have an accountant in Canada who does that for us, both the U.S. Yeah. and Canadian taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, in the last couple of years, since we haven't had any gigs, uh, that's going to be fairly easy. I suspect he could do it all in about fifteen minutes. But uh, in the years when we were traveling a lot, it right. was uh, there's a significant amount of paperwork, yeah. especially in Europe, because they, they, the 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 uh, barriers to uh, foreign artists performing in some of the countries in Europe are really strict and yeah. severe, and you have to be really creative to. To break through them.
0: Well, it's just a time-consuming task of writing for visas to fill
2: out. I mean, do you uh, visas were not a were not necessarily a problem, but it was basically carnets, instrument carnets. Oh, okay. Because we would take we would take two tons of instruments with us and every instrument down to the the beater the, had to be yeah. identified. So, uh, early on I spent hours just engraving instruments, putting so that It was uh, the instrument marking was engraved in it and we could claim it when we went into a country and claim that we were exporting it when we were leaving the country. And rarely was it checked, but it was checked on occasion. So you had to be that detailed about it. And percussionists are detail people. So that worked out pretty well.
1: Yeah. And you know the partnership thing makes total sense for for you guys in in my opinion too because you all had a bunch of other things going on as well so Nexus was just one piece of the many things that you were doing individually so absolutely yeah um, and so. Along those same lines, um, are there certain business and organizational functions that are more important than others for artists to know about and understand? We talked about that a little bit, but I'm wondering if there's one or two things that you think are really important when it comes to business for artists.
2: Um, I'm going to go first because I have have this conversation with not only Nexus members – Uh, but also with orchestra musicians I have many friends in orchestras and I do residencies Mm -hmm. uh, for orchestras uh, uh, not not every week but I mean I've done them and the I think the best thing that they can do is have a big picture view try to understand everything Uh, when I was in the Philharmonic I was on absolutely every committee I was on every board committee and every musicians committee I was on the union board so that you understand what it's all about um that will be the ground zero. Everything comes off of that.
3: And yeah. you know, I'll uh, follow up with that, uh, even though, you know, Bill is much more uh, knowledgeable about the arts and uh, legal stuff than I am. Uh, you could ask me about manufacturing yeah. and I could talk for days. But um, I think uh, one really important thing, and I think uh, we've touched on it a little bit is, uh, is, as Bill said, uh, find out what you're good at and uh, go that direction. And what you're not good at, find people who are good at it, who like to do it. Uh, you don't have to overpay those people like you think you might because you hate doing those things. Uh, they love doing it. Uh, so you, you can find uh, those people and uh, uh, they'll they'll take you to the next step. So that that's a really key uh, part of it. And Gary's a genius at that. And finding people to do my work. (laughs) Yes, yes, I've always uh, worked with the best. Nexus is a good um, uh, example. I I don't have to become a xylophone superstar because we already have one, (laughs) and um, and uh, and so on. But you know, we all play our roles, and I think what's cool about Nexus is that we we play an important part in in that uh, that role, and what we can't do. Uh, or don't want to do, like, file with every state to get our, our tax money back, uh, we find people who are good at it.
0: As you were given a previous answer, I was wondering, other than performing and recording, what other revenue streams does Nexus have? And has that changed as the ensemble matured?
2: Well, Gary just told you about the Woodstock Chimes. Um, I have my own publishing company. Um, we, uh, Nexus has its own CD label so there are those kinds of things. Uh, we also all do a certain amount of teaching and w- workshopping for universities, for music schools, for public schools, for orga- uh, community organizations, that kind of thing. Uh, any, anyone who's interested in music might be interested in something that e- any one of us here uh, are capable of talking about. Local historical societies. I do fife and drum presentations for local historical societies. Um, They pay 50 bucks for a night, but you get maybe a free dinner and uh, you have a lot of fun. You get to meet people and you expand your network that way. And uh, and I love to play that music. So it's a win-win.
3: I I remember discussions on... Uh, uh, revenue uh, enhancements for Nexus. And uh, at that time, they were talking about maybe coming out with some products like uh, uh, Tabla tuning rocks uh, <laughs> and uh, talcum uh, powder <laughs> for uh, Tabla, uh, maybe uh, Ruta sticks uh, for bass drums, you know, stuff that uh, people need, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one one
2: weird take on that. Um, when I, uh, we all make instruments, but when we make something that's really cool, we don't want to sell it to other people because pretty soon they'll com- be competing with us and they'll be selling theirs for <laughs> twice our price.
1: Right. It, it, well, I
3: just
2: think it's funny. Yeah. But it's the truth. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you can go to a PASIC and, and you, you have a choice of a hundred triangles, 50,000 sure. tambourines uh, and they're all good. And snare yeah. drums and uh, timpani. I mean, you name it. Um, you name the percussion instrument and there's somebody who makes like super maracas, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that's not always been the case. And if I were the person who invented those Brazilian maracas, they probably would still be in my collection and nobody else in the world would have yeah. them.
3: <laughs> yeah, teaching is like that too, uh, Bill, is that you're uh, helping out your future competition, basically. <laughs> Well, John Wire used to complain that one of his students became the manager of the Toronto Symphony
2: and was his boss. Mm. You know, he wasn't <laughs> complaining. He was uh, conjecturing about <laughs> was the irony it. of that. Yeah. Yeah. But your students could, could ultimately end up being your boss. And yeah. um, that's a consideration. And, and frankly, I remember in a lesson with uh, my one teacher, I won't use his name because it would be embarrassing, but it was the zeitgeist of the time who said he's not he wasn't going to teach me everything he knows. Because someday I'll be competing with him, and that would that day would not be far off.
0: Hmm. Wow!
2: So I'll hmm. tell you, I'll tell you some of what I know, but then you figure it out because that's what I had to do. You know, that was the take, and and that was good advice, by the way.
3: Russell constantly points out that most all of his students make more money than he does, uh, and I guess that's the uh, the uh, uh, the circle of yeah. life, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well you stand on the shoulders of giants you keep growing right that's kind of what what's going on but I, I think it was funny gary when you were saying that when you're looking at revenue streams instead of going mass market you went even deeper in a niche within a niche with a talcum powder for tabla <laughs> yes. and uh, yeah. tabla and uh what was the other one a tuning stone yeah yes
3: tuning rock or stone right And yes. then
1: and then then you have to pay sales tax in all 50 states <laughs> <laughs> or wherever well, you ship it you to, do. you know, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other headache that goes along with you know not just performing, but now selling products, you know.
3: That's right. Thanks to South Dakota and Wayfair, uh, that <laughs> that's opened right. up now, the gates.
1: Twenty eight, yeah, exactly. Twenty eighteen uh, thing, yeah. So as as Nick read in the uh, in the intro, your collaborations are seemingly endless uh, over the past fifty years. Uh, Kronos Quartet. Canadian Brass Throat Singers of Prana which I'd love to hear some of that stuff and um, a couple of film scores as well how do you find new opportunities for collaborations and what are the elements that go into creating a good collaboration
2: Uh, the same I think the same things that uh, go into having a good ensemble that lasts for 50 years just trusting what the other people are doing appreciating what they're doing and being respectful of what they're doing and sharing uh, sharing your ideas which we've done with all of these artists that you mentioned uh, it's also, um, it, it came about either through personal connections, personal networking, okay. or one, se- one degree of separation networking. Yeah. Uh, that's how it works in the real world. Really, networking is critical for these kinds of things. And the best thing you can do is insert yourself into a powerful network. So that's why you have to identify who those people are in that network and then find your way in. This might be a point for one story about a student in Japan who gave me a call one day and said, I'm going to come to your house next year for a lesson. And I said, I don't teach. and talking, But uh, that person persisted and insisted that um, that person was going to come to my house next year. And I said, if you show up, I will do everything I can to help you. We'll have a nice conversation, but I won't teach you. We'll share ideas. All right. A year later, I get a phone call. I'm at the airport. That's what it takes. it yeah. takes that you you just uh, bullnose your way into a network, and that person uh, has a very successful solo career right now uh worldwide yeah. performances yeah. All right
1: um, to what degree is novelty important in those collaborations for for nexus you know I'm, you know that you said early on you said there's this balance of you know doing what you're good at but also you know taking. Of you know, stretching the limits a little bit as well.
3: I think uh, Nexus has been very unique through the years, and I think that's an important part of it. Uh, nobody wanted to just continue uh, the tradition as was. We wanted to grow it, and I think that was always a part of it. Uh, once again, the personal relationships uh, played an important part. Uh, a local a drummer uh, in Woodstock here, a friend of mine, whose name is Jack Dejanet, <laughs> the local guy. Uh, we uh, work with him a number of times uh, on a f- a local festivals and so on. And th- that, that, that was unique. Uh, another, another person uh, that lived in Woodstock, Peter Shickley, a friend, uh, we commissioned him to write a couple pieces for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were very unique. Yeah. So he, how the interaction was was good because you know Peter is a genius. Uh, most people know him as a, a PDQ Bach uh, <laughs> uh, not a creator but uh, uh, he uh, disco- this discovery of uh, that music, right uh, But uh, he also has uh, a lot of uh, original compositions under his name. Uh, in fact, he he went to Juilliard uh, with uh, Philip Glass and Steve Reich at the same time. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> that that generation really pumped out a lot of amazing music. And Peter's music was great. Uh, a couple of his pieces uh, were a Sonata for Percussion, Woodstock, and Maverick. Uh, so th- those were very unique. We premiered them at Maverick as well. Uh, a lot of premieres, a lot of uh, interaction with composers, uh, pieces that wouldn't exist if it weren't for Nexus and a very different uh, music for sure.
0: So Bill, I, I want to thank you again for sending me a copy of your book, Unpopular Music. You start chapter one with a comment you overheard as the audience left a Nexus performance and it was, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. What was the ensemble or what has the ensemble learned about audience engagement and setting expectations that would be helpful for the young musicians listening to this podcast?
2: Well, uh, assess your audiences, assess your, that's your market. And um, that revealed something that we knew at heart. Uh, We knew subconsciously, but weren't willing to admit to ourselves that most of the people in the audience thought they were going to be hearing some, you know, uh, I don't know, drum corps or the stuff that is out there in the, in the commercial world, uh, stomp, who knows, or maybe they had not a clue what they were going to be hearing. And as I said earlier in this interview, uh, 90%, maybe 95% of our audience, uh, have never heard a percussion ensemble before have not a clue what they're going to be coming to when they take their seat in the concert hall, what they're going to be hearing. So, um, I think our programming Fortunately for us, the music that we, we we really liked playing in Nexus and the music that we wanted to perform was stuff that could connect with audiences and open their musical doorways into their hearts uh, m- much more easily than some of the other material that's out there. Uh, it's, it's not to evaluate the material, it's just a matter of, of access. Mm-hmm. So uh, that comment, uh, we, we all had a really good laugh after after I told the other guys that was a comment for our performance tonight. Uh, we had a good laugh about it. But on the other hand, uh, it was a realistic comment and it's uh, it's helpful and healthy to listen to what your audience are, is saying. This, this is what receptions are good for. Although in receptions after concerts, of which we've had many, 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 usually it's small talk and people are being polite. So you don't necessarily get to the heart of the matter. The place to be is right outside the door uh, as the audience is leaving to hear what they really thought. And you have to disguise yourself so they don't know that you're listening with a microphone. But, but actually, that's a really good thing to do if you can do it.
1: Sure. sure.
0: So, so the last question before we get to our final three that we ask uh, all of our uh, interviewees is, what's next for Nexus? Is there a succession plan as members retire or will the ensemble play a final concert and enjoy seeing other groups continue to propel the art form?
3: Gary, you're going to have to go first. (laughs) 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 Trying to push it off. Oh man. Uh, Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, But um, there there is no plan right now. Uh, You know, we haven't been grooming young players per se, but uh, there's so many other groups that could step up and, uh, kind of, you know, uh, nobody can really uh, fill the shoes. Uh, when I first started uh, with the group, we had a, a nice dinner with John Wire, kind of a transition. And I, I said that uh, you know I'm going to try my best, but there's no way I can uh, fill his sandals. Um, <laughs> so um, we we do our own thing, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll live on through our recordings for one thing. There's what, like 35 Nexus recordings out there. So uh, some amazing music that uh, none of which has won a Grammy award, even though all of us have won Grammy awards uh, in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're all, they all should have, Uh, you know, one of the earliest ones uh, I was involved with was drum talker, which included a incredibly beautiful piece by Russell called the invisible proverb. Uh, It has, One of Peter uh, Shickley's percussion sonatas that he wrote for us, number two, and four medleys that uh, Bob Becker arranged (coughs) uh, of uh, ragtime kind of stuff, Bye Bye, States, Girlfriends, and Whispering. Uh, Just amazing music uh, that, you know, I think that of the 2% that uh, are interested in music, maybe 0.0000, not enough zeros in the world, 1% has heard this recording. And I think that I can't imagine anybody that wouldn't get off on listening to that. Our most recent recording, which I hope will help the legacy uh, that you're asking about, is a, a collaboration with Soul Percussion that Nexus did, uh, that Russell Hartenberger put together. Uh, I think it's just called Steve Reich. Uh, and it is an amazing collection of, of music that we've all played a lot. And if I could uh, toot my horn a little bit, uh, one of the pieces is an arrangement I did of Steve's Piano Face, and I called it Mallet Face, uh, <laughs> and it's the same notes as uh, Piano Face, but I built the instruments to do it because I wanted to hear what Steve's music sounded like, not only on on a very specific percussion instruments that, uh, like wood and metal tubes that I did, but also tuned in just intonation. Mm. Uh, which uh, worked really well because it's just a limited number of notes and no modulation. But the, the colors that came out of that were just spectacular. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you can uh, get that on our website, <laughs> uh, but answer your question. Uh, you know, we haven't had that meeting yet and I don't look forward to it. Like uh, uh, this will be our last concert. Uh, we have uh, a residency that we'll probably be doing up in Newfoundland. Right, Phil?
2: Yep. <clears throat> Assuming the pandemic ends. Yeah. yeah,
3: And that's the problem. You know, Bill pointed out that we haven't played in two years and it's not because we weren't being hired. It's it's (laughs) that there weren't any concerts, you know, to be had. So, uh, and, uh, and as we mentioned, um, Bob and uh, Russ live in uh, Canada and uh, they've been kind of uh, quarantined up there for so long, uh, we couldn't even get to them or them to us. Um, So, you know, who knows what the future uh, will bring there, but as my brother Rick has always said about retiring, he's the a principal percussionist with the uh, San Francisco Opera Company. He will continue to play as long as he has at least partial use of one arm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to take that question on, too, uh, after the laughter ends. But um, uh, I, I'm also on the honorary board of the Rochester Philharmonic, and symphony orchestras are, are, are shutting down again. It's like March 2020 all over again. Uh, nobody really knows what's going to happen in the new reality. And the new reality is a big thing. I mean, uh, everywhere, people are reevaluating what they do and its relevance to, uh, to everything else. Uh, that includes universities. That includes all the major institutions are reevaluating. And things are going to be different. We don't know how that's going to unfold. So it's very difficult for guys who have been doing this for 50 years to have any kind of assurance that what they're saying is helpful advice because we don't really know what the world is going to look like when this is over with uh, and it's not going to be over with soon. I just heard a report that this is likely to carry on for another two to three years because there are going to be other variants appearing. Uh, That's very hard to take but uh, if it's it is what it is, then we've got to come up with uh, a way to deal with that. Yeah, so crazy. I don't envy you guys teaching today to, because we I have no doubt that you, like all teachers, want to be helpful to the students and want to give them the best advice possible. And it's difficult to do because values are changing and we don't know where it's going.
0: Yeah. But on the other hand, too, I mean, you, you've heard the quote, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Isn't that what the – so there are things that we learn from you and absolutely oh yeah
2: right absolutely yeah absolutely
1: so uh at the end of the podcast we ask all of our interviewees the same three questions um and so if you know if each of you want to contribute uh an answer or however you want to handle this uh it's totally up to you guys um what advice would you give to others wanting to become an arts entrepreneur
2: Okay. uh, I think I gave my five points. I would stick with those again. I'll read them again real fast. Know yourself, know your strengths and weaknesses, emphasize your strengths, de-emphasize your weaknesses, have a plan that's capable of evolving as time goes by, find a network of people who can be helpful and insert yourself into that network, and lastly, give it five to ten years of that kind of effort. If it if it hasn't happened in five to ten years, reevaluate your goals.
3: I'm hoping not to sound corny, but uh, follow your passion is really really important, and uh, never never give up. Persistence. That's great. Yeah, that's great.
0: What can we do to ensure the arts are more accessible and reaching the widest possible audience?
2: I think. Uh, my, my, my take on this is different from a lot of my colleagues assume that your audience knows nothing and that your responsibility is to help them to know something when they leave the concert hall that they should be enriched in some way not only in the heart but in the mind and try to um, have that your your have that happen in a concert in a performance not only to the audience but for yourself too mm-hmm. uh, that's very abstract and very nonspecific um and finding out what that all means is part of the process. Sure. Yeah.
0: Gary, did you have anything you wanted to add?
3: I think it's really important that uh, people uh, develop uh, the arts in the way they want to locally. Uh, You know, uh, we could tour the world and and go here and and maybe influence uh, audiences in uh, China in the early eighties. But I think uh, like so much, uh, you know, we really have to, develop stuff uh close to home yeah and uh i think it's important uh who gets elected uh, to see what kind of support we have for the arts i'm not going to tell you uh, how to vote but uh let's uh let's think about that as an important uh issue yeah. th- uh, throughout the world is aesthetics which uh, i'm not sure you know uh even within the two percent uh that that's strong enough yeah.
1: And what's the best artistic or entrepreneurial advice you've ever received?
2: Well, I think I've, I've already answered that question. It was that uh, professor uh, of a business uh, at Duquesne University who, had, who told us what our market was after he asked us a few prescient questions about what we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and knowing your market, and that's our core. That doesn't mean we can't go beyond that, and we can't develop other markets, but that was the core. So, it was really great advice.
3: Yeah, uh, for me, when it comes to uh, musical uh, advice, uh, I've had so many great teachers, uh, and I think it really kind of boils down to uh, sound. Uh, And, uh, you know, all of my teachers had that in common, uh, is to uh, look for a particular sound it wasn't always a beautiful sound sometimes you want to have a raunchy sound uh, but uh, so you have a voice and your voice uh, should be uh, what's necessary to make music uh, the way you want to and uh, I I want to say one last thing uh, getting back to that quote uh, from the New York Times back when when did that happen uh, Bill when was that quote which quote the high priest of percussion
0: yeah, high priest of the percussion world. Yeah,
2: yeah, that was uh, that was after uh, w- that was after a Carnegie Hall concert. Um, oh, the Takamitsu concerto. Uh, I might have been. Yes, uh, uh, that would have been 1991, 90 yeah.
3: or ninety one. I'm th- uh, th- there's still discussion as to what it, they meant by high priests. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that predates oh. your joining the ensemble, yeah. I think.
3: Of course, so I'm uh, <laughs> I, I'm uh, uh, out of uh, contention for any legal action. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this has been great and, and a lot of fun. I know our listeners are going to uh, to learn a lot. Bill, how could people reach you or Nexus for more information?
2: Uh, Well, the best way to reach Nexus is to go to the Nexus website. It's www.NexusPercussion.com. There's a lot of stuff there to check out. Uh, If you want to talk to me personally, uh, you can do that. uh, Simple. My email address is BillCon, B-I-L-L-C-A-H-N at AOL.com. Yeah. Uh, Gary?
3: Yeah. uh, Well, I sold my company uh, four months ago, uh, but I'm still uh, kind of a figurehead there. Uh, so I still have my email address, uh, gary at chimes.com and uh, spelled with two R's, uh, G-A-R-R-Y at chimes.com. Also, I have a lot of blogs uh, on that, uh, Meet the Chime Maker, uh, on the website, which is uh, very difficult to remember, chimes.com. We'll, we'll link to it in the, in the show notes. <laughs> All right. yeah.
1: All right. Congratulations on the sale.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to figure out what to do next. Oh, wait, maybe I'll play music. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you both very much for your time.
3: Great to have
2: you. Andy, great to meet you. Nick, always great.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast.